Welcome to Outsmarting Implicit Bias, the podcast on understanding the mind to make better decisions in life and at work. When I want to teach people in the starkest way possible about the limits of their own minds, I often will give them the now well-known father and his son in a car accident riddle. We're listening now to Professor Mazreen Banaji of Harvard University. The riddle goes something like this. A father and his son are in a car accident. The father dies at the scene. The boy, badly injured, is rushed to the hospital. The attending surgeon looks at the boy and says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. How can this be? This question was posed to me in 1985, and I thought long and hard about it, and I said, well, the father who died in the car could have been the boy's adoptive father, and the surgeon could have been the same boy's biological father. That's certainly logically possible. And that's just one of many answers that we can come up with. The Boston radio station WBUR recently posed this riddle, and I just want to play some of the responses that they got. Perhaps he meant grandson and he just left out the grand really quickly. No, no, that's not, that's not right. Um, the father who died at the accident was the stepfather. Because the father in the car that died with the boy is actually a priest. It's a same-sex marriage. Or the dad didn't really die and was revived somehow and rushed to the hospital and one of the fathers was a sperm donor so some of these are reasonable others are more of a stretch but like most riddles the answer when revealed is simple the surgeon is the boy's mother now duh why didn't i get the answer right in 1985 in retrospect this seems like a no-brainer But a survey conducted just a few years ago asked children and college undergraduates the same riddle, and they found two things. First, only 15% of the respondents got the riddle right. And second, life experience didn't influence their answers at all. Recently, I was lecturing about these topics to a large group of people, and I saw that when I asked the audience, what's the right answer here? And a bunch of people said, the surgeon is the boy's mother. I noticed that a woman sitting at one of the tables up front near me just hit her head on the table. Hard enough that I think I heard a sound. So later, when she came up to talk to me about this with a blue bruise on her head, I said to her, you shouldn't have hit your head so hard uh, on the table when you heard the right answer. And she said to me, of course I should have. My mother is a surgeon. Think about this. A person whose mother is a surgeon couldn't get the right answer here. How can this be? So it's not the how can this be of the riddle. (laughs) It's how can it be that we can't get to the right answer? Stories like this show us just how much our stereotypes influence how we interpret the world around us. And today's podcast is particularly appropriate because recently we saw the surgeon riddle come to life and make national news. In October 2016, the Washington Post reported a story about Tamika Cross, a woman who was mid-flight when she heard another airline passenger calling for help. The passenger's husband was unresponsive and needed medical attention. And luckily for them, Tamika Cross was a fourth-year medical resident sitting just two rows away. She immediately raised her hand to offer help. But in a social media post she made after the flight landed, Dr. Cross, who was young, black, and female, described being told by the flight attendant, Oh no, sweetie, put your hand down. We're looking for actual physicians or nurses or some type of medical personnel. We don't have time to talk to you. 
Now, she offered her help several times, but the flight attendant demurred until another doctor, an older white man, offered to help. So why did this happen? Did Cross's age, race, or gender influence the flight attendant's judgment? We can't say for sure, but research shows us that we do judge books by their covers. So for instance, a study conducted at Yale in 2012 asked over 100 STEM professors across the country to evaluate one of two student resumes for a lab manager position. Now these resumes were identical, but the names at the top were different. One was John and one was Jennifer. And when the candidate had a male sounding name like John, he was perceived as being more competent, people were more excited to mentor him, and he was offered $4,000 more a year than if the name at the top was Jennifer. We can all be the targets of bias, and we can all be its perpetrators. Mazarin herself has been on both the giving and the receiving end of these kinds of biases. When Mazarin was a young professor at Yale, students often mistook her for her own assistant. What intrigued me is that they didn't have any doubt as to whether I was or was not Professor Banaji. They didn't say, are you possibly Professor Banaji?" They so expected it to be somebody not like me that they would simply ask about when he was going to be back. Yet experiencing this bias firsthand didn't stop Mazarin from committing the same error. I was in a surgical ward once getting ready for surgery when I saw a young nurse and I asked her to point me to the anesthesiologist with whom I needed to talk prior to the surgery. I remember her expressionless face as she said, I am the anesthesiologist. Her look told me that this had happened to her many times before. And of course, I was annoyed that I didn't pause to allow for that possibility. But she looked so young. She was a woman. I often joke that such mistakes are not always highly consequential. But hey, it really isn't a good idea to have an angry anesthesiologist working on keeping you alive. We laugh about these kinds of mistakes, but sometimes, as in the case of the ill passenger on Tamika Cross's flight, the potential consequences can be serious. So how do we respond to situations like this and prevent them from happening again? Let's take a look at the airline's own response. They didn't ignore the problem. They changed their policy. Medical professionals are now no longer required to show credentials before assisting passengers in need. Because after all, what's the chance that someone would impersonate an MD during an in-flight emergency? In this example, the airline's response is worth focusing on. They recognize that all the training in the world won't keep busy flight attendants from falling back on stereotypes in stressful situations. That in addition to education, the best solutions lie in improving the practices and policies that shape our actions. That's how we can outsmart our minds most effectively. That's the takeaway. The world of the workplace has grown so much. The skills we are seeking come in such a diversity of forms. We've got to be able to recognize talent no matter how it presents itself. A youthful judge, a male nurse, a female construction worker. To all of these, we've got to say, why not? We can't afford to lose out on talent just because it comes in a package we didn't expect. Outsmarting Implicit Bias is a project founded by Mazarin Banaji, devoted to improving decision-making using insights from psychological science. Support was provided by a grant from PwC to Harvard University. This episode was developed with Olivia Kang and Evan Younger. Music was composed by Miracles of Modern Science. Sound editing and mixing was done by Evan Younger. 
Permission for excerpts from Radio Boston was provided by WBUR. For all studies cited in this podcast, go to outsmartingimplicitbias.org.